And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3.30. Stay tuned for Cover to Cover with Javelin Richards. Welcome to Cover to Cover. I'm your host at Joblin's Bistro. It feels good to be with you. Happy Wednesday afternoon. Wonderful weather, wonderful weather, wonderful you and wonderful guests today. Before I get into my guests, and I actually am bringing you two guests that's quite lovely that I really hope impacts all of our lives. And then there's a giveaway along with this here. So that's the good news. So here we go with the announcement. This weekend, Afro Solo Arts Festival, the 24th festival that's run by uh, Thomas Simpson. I was going to have a guest on, but I we haven't been able to get hold of uh, her uh, today. Uh, so we'll see. She's going to be performing uh, at Afro Solo, and that's going on. The festival is going on October 18th to the 21st, and it's the 24th festival. And anyone who's uh, familiar with the festival, Thomas, who's a director of the festival, has brought incredible acts over the 24 years. And program one this year is Courage on the Fire, the story of Elroy, Elroy that's written and performed by Thomas Robert Simpson. And then there's program two, Black Voices Performance Series, Our Days Have Come, One Day Has Come. And that's featuring Nina Cossey, Marshall Giroux, Ayadeli Nzanga, who was going to be on today's show, but we can't get hold of her, Catherine Seaborn, and Thomas Robert Sensum all perform on each date of the show. And so the for information, go to afrosolo.org. Go to afrosolo.org. It happens at the uh, Burial Clay uh, Theater in San Francisco. Again, that's October 18th to the 21st. Afro Solo Arts Festival 24. It is absolutely beautiful. I've been a part of it both as an audience member and as a performance artist. Absolutely. And so now, right now, I'm going to be bringing you an um, anthology called Still in the city, creating peace of mind in the midst of urban chaos. And in the studio with me is Eve Decker, who is a part of this anthology. Eve is a graduate of UC Berkeley and the community Dharma leader and path of engagement programs at Spirit Rock Meditation Center. Ah, she is also an accomplished songwriter and musician. Eve teaches classes on loving kindness for self, transforming judgmental mind, mindfulness, and heart practices. She also worked with families at Spirit Rock and in the East Bay. And the editor of Steel in the City is edited by Angela Dews began a mindfulness practice in 1996 on retreat from politics, journalism, and government. She is certified as a community Dharma leader by Spirit Rock Meditation Center, a writer and editor. She invited two dozen of her fellow community Dharma leaders to share their experience practicing Buddhism, teachings in diverse urban environments. 
This I found fascinating and had to bring it to you. Why did I find it fascinating? Because a thought mm-hmm. that one can practice mindfulness in traffic, mindfulness wherever you are, is a concept to be embraced. That as I was sharing with Eve earlier, you don't have to go somewhere to find mindfulness, to sit among other folks. It's right there in the moment. So I want to welcome and our listening audience, let's welcome Eve Deckler and Angela Dews to Cover to Cover Javelin's Bistro. Hi, Eve. Hi, Angela. Hello. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> All right. So, Angela, you started, mm, you? You started <laughs> this revolution. So come on and talk to me. <laughs> tell us, tell us about it. I told them about who you are on paper, but how... Tell us the inspiration behind it for you. Um, when I first went on retreat, I, I um, came back and I started a little meditation group in my apartment in Harlem. I used to make them little shortbread cookies and tea, and we got a good crowd, and then we went into yoga studios. I've always felt like it was very important to bring the Dharma um, to, to my community, and there are a lot of meditators, but the actual Buddhist tools on how to live with a human heart, um, I thought were very important and needed to be included. So I wrote, I'm writing fiction, and um, this is a short story. I um, tried to pitch it to an agent, and my, it's a murder mystery. She killed a bad guy, the hero, and she's very upset. And And the agent said, why? That's what you do in murder mysteries. I said, well, she's a Buddhist. And the agent said, now that's the book I would buy. So that's the book I pitched, and that's the book they bought. And then they expanded it beyond New York to all other, to a bunch of other cities. They wanted more cities. So I talked to my community, Dharma Leader community, and two dozen of them showed up with these stories. And it's the it's storytelling tradition of the Buddha. That's the way he taught. He told stories. So that's how it happened. So now I am not a Buddha practitioner, nor have mm-hmm. I been to a Buddha class. So when you say Dharma, for those of us. Oh, who, I'm sorry. The, it, this is a good thing. I love when I, whenever I'm talking to someone who don't know, because then they help me to remember what I do know. So now <laughs> I'm going to ask you, what is Dharma? Um, it's interesting because the book is actually divided into three sections, and those are the, what we call the refuges in Buddhism. The first one is the Buddha, who's the actual human being that figured that learned this stuff, um, and also the possibility that we could all awaken. The Dharma are the teachings. And the Dharma happens all the time. I had a lot of Dharma experiences today in the city of New York because I learned something. There's always something to learn if you're aware. And the Sangha, which is the third refuge, is a community. And that's where the prison stories are in this book. There's two um, writers, three writers actually, who wrote about their experience teaching in prisons. That's called Sangha. So what they bring to the group is the Dharma, the teachings of the Buddha. And... um, what they find there and grow there is Sangha. And that's who we are. The, the writers in the book are members of Sangha. So I've been um, actually, Angela, practicing Dharma. I didn't know it. That's right. Yeah, sure yeah. you have. Right. And I think we all have on one level or another, because when I was talking to Eve earlier, I was saying that wherever I'm at, I'm, I'm aware of myself and that environment and the relationship I'm having and breathing inside of that and being aware of my narrative and the narrative around me. Lovely. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Yes, very simple. <laughs> very simple. Eve, all right, you sing, you practice, and how did you find your way into a city, still in the city, creating peace of mind in the midst of urban chaos? Uh, well, I 
came to Buddhist teachings from a place of suffering, um, which is actually a very common, what they call Dharma gate. People who are seeking, seeking some kind of uh, uh, understanding that will help support well-being, uh, will often come to these teachings and find something here that really makes sense. The Buddha taught um, that don't believe anything I say, just try it for yourself and see if it works, which I appreciate. So we're not asked to take mm-hmm. on any dogma. We just try it and we see. And so I tried it and I saw that practicing mindfulness, just like you were just describing, Javelin, that kind of awareness of what's happening right now, rather than getting lost in discursive thought, was really key to my well-being. And then the further the practices, the heart practices of kindness, compassion, joy, um, balance, those kinds of practices, they're very pragmatic. They don't have to belong to Buddhism. They just happen to be in there, but they're other elsewhere too. And uh, so they were really useful for me and useful for my communities. And so fast forward 25 years of practice... And I found myself in community with other people studying to be leaders in these in these teachings. And that's where I met Angela. Angela is a writer and a Dharma teacher. Um, and she was putting this together and I wanted to write about my journey and what I now teach, which is how to have self-acceptance. If you have some people, our journey involves a self-critic. And how do we hold that in our whole experience in such a way that we can move through life with peace? If if our anger is primarily turned in toward ourselves, some people have that, and myself included. I imagine a lot of people have the anger turned in. So I'm, I'm going to put this out here to the both of you, Angela and Eve, uh, and I hope it makes sense because it was in my head earlier as I was driving to the radio station. So I'm listening to both of you as practitioners, okay? So let me see if I can articulate, and I want to hear you as teachers uh, give me something to play with, if you will. So as, a, as I'm driving and through Oakland, and I'm thinking about some of the challenges that go on on a regular basis, when I see the homeless towns, this under homeless encampments, towns, and spaces... When I hear the the violence that is inflicted on brown and black people for being in space, yeah. so I'm driving and I'm thinking that the auto the collective world that we live in, no matter where it is, somehow pushes people into boxes of fear, mm-hmm. the fear mm-hmm. to be. Yeah. of color, the fear to be poor, the fear of all of these things that internalize that. And that, and then it dawned on me that part of the spiritual journey may be to walk out of that box, to walk mm-hmm. away. What happens, just to walk away. Mm-hmm. Not trying to figure out what is going to happen, but how do we walk away from that box in which we people identify us? Mm-hmm. They say mm-hmm. you're female. You're black, or you're you're all this stuff, and that's a box. Mm-hmm. Check off. Mm-hmm. What happens mm-hmm. if you leave the box? How mm-hmm. would you, as as practitioners, assist one of getting out of that box that you can walk away from the box in which you're living in or were given 
if it doesn't serve your spiritual being? Mm-hmm. What's your mm-hmm. thought? What's your thought? Dave, you want to try it? Sure. And, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, or why don't you start, Angela, if you want to? Okay. I, I think, I mean, it's the base, one of the basic teachings that the Buddha uh, discovered and, and taught was about the absence, the fact that no self, no permanent self exists. It's all the causes and conditions and the habits. I'm uh, almost six feet tall, and I've been angry, and I, that's my persona. And I used to wear high heels, and I was a force. And as I found the practice, I learned to take a breath, to pause, and to see what the actual um, skillful response to my anger and my pain would be. And often it's to tell someone who made me angry, what do you mean by that? Not to assume that that enemy is the enemy. Um, I work with a woman and I asked her once, what do you mean by that? And I found out she was wrong, but she wasn't stupid. And it was the first time we actually, I went beyond my place to her place to ask her who she was. And she turned around and asked me. I think talking to each other as a major is a really important step. And also not denying. Um, in my, there's several stories in the book that talk about, about the Oakland homeless, about all of us. I remember walking down Fifth Avenue and finding people living on, on cardboard boxes. Um, and my instinct would be to turn away because I don't want to see. Or to look and want it to be different and to be angry. But to stop and to see and to understand how I'm socialized. The, the Buddha talks about greed, anger, and delusion. Mm-hmm. And the delusion is that we're separate, that I'm not that man on that, on that or that woman on that cardboard board. We're all together. And the people who are making decisions seem to feel that they can make a decision that doesn't touch them. We're all connected. That's one of the most important teachings of the Buddha, is that we're not separate selves. We're connected beings. That's one of his major... You always see a picture of him sitting by himself. You know, that famous Buddha statue. Yeah. He was surrounded by community. His teachings talk to community all the time. It's fabulous, beautiful things. In a way, when I first shared the, the, this uh, this thing that was... that came to me earlier today, walking away from the boxes in which we are born into from day one. It's a girl born of Negro parents, black parents, African-American. There's all these boxes you're thrust into and walking away. Buddha did something similar, if I understand his history. He walked away from the box that he was born into Mm -hmm. to wealth Mm -hmm. and walked Mm -hmm. away to become him, to become enlightened, to experience Mm -hmm. Eve, what is your thought if someone is 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 a part of a story, a narrative that does engage them in anger, mm-hmm. does engage them in fear, and does engage them and then internalize that? Particularly if you mm-hmm. can't change those circumstances, then you somewhere in our psychology we begin to say, "Well, this must be me, and it must be my mm-hmm. fault." Right? Mm-hmm. Where do you? Mm-hmm. How do you, as a a teacher? speak to that um well first i want to echo what angela said because it's so important Mm -hmm. that we have to find our way to the reality that we're interconnected that that we that we are not separate selves and you know those are just words so it's actually a journey to get to like really feeling that but um and that journey involves one piece of it 
involves learning practices, and these are very learnable skills that allow us to disidentify from our thoughts. Our con- we have conditioning, like you're describing the boxes, whether it's the, uh, you know, the, the homeless folks in Oakland right now or the Buddha 2,600 years ago or all the stuff in between there. We have identities. Those are created by our thoughts. And what we can learn to do is, is disengage the observing self from the thinking mind and not take all that as, as you know, orthodox truth. Because it is not. Mm-hmm. It is not orthodox truth. In fact, I'd say like 90% of it is wrong. <laughs> this is cover to cover, and we're talking of we're talking with Eve Decker and Angela Dews uh, of the the uh, anthology that's that's out here still in the city that they just put out here, creating peace of mind in the midst of urban chaos, and that was what attracted me. Urban chaos was because that's the urban spaces are really the ones that are targeted from what I would consider mindless government, mindless and disconnected from the interconnectedness of all of us. Mm-hmm. And that desper- mm-hmm. that desperation to, to remain disconnected and to create everything beyond it to look like disconnect, which is why we're in this polar system right now that mm-hmm. we're struggling with as a people, which is why this book is important. And the first uh, three callers that called uh, 510-848-4425, this five one. Zero eight four eight four four two five. We have three books to give you: "Steel in the City," creating peace of mind in the midst of urban chaos. All right. Next question. I think it's very it's important to me, so I'm going to think at least as one other human being out there beyond my shadow that is important too. I have worked for twenty years in communities that have been challenged throughout the United States, the homeless community, the battered women's uh, community, the visible ones um, that would come to shelters. That's what that means. HIV, AIDS, people struggling with some of the more more pressed-against-the-wall kind of struggles, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I facilitated groups and because I had the space to sit with them, I could explain what the two of you are sharing with us. But most of the folks that I knew was trying to get from point A to point A, mm-hmm. right? Just mm-hmm. point A to point A, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. point B, point A to point mm-hmm. A. Mm-hmm. Just be recognized at least I'm at point A. Mm-hmm. At least I'm able to hold my baby, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. At least I've been through six years of addiction. I'm in recovery. I can hold my child. That's point A. Oh, yeah. I can't get to point B. Mm-hmm. How How can this book, this these stories, reach them in a place of understanding in point A? Mm-hmm. Right? That they, mm-hmm. just point A. Like, I can put my arms around my child, and that's, I can do that now. Right? How can this book do that? And I ask that question because I've always promised the families I've worked with some kind of way, some kind of way, you're going to know how profoundly incredible you are. Yes. Mm, yes. How profoundly incredible you are. And, how, and you're going to know that this was never about you. Mm-mm. It was about mm-hmm. the dysfunction of a system. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you happen to be 
the raindrop that someone tried to capture and they cannot, mm-hmm. right? How can this still in the city reach them? As teachers, what would you, what would you do? When this book, they would maybe sit down just to sit something on top of, mm-hmm. right? Because they don't have a, maybe some popcorn because they don't have a plate today. Mm-hmm. How does that magic happen? I'm listening. I think very quickly because I think that um, the very important thing for me is the recognition. People have read these stories and said, oh, yeah, I feel like that. I recognize that. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened to me when I started to practice. I started to practice and found um, the Buddha talked about how hard it is to have a human heart. Mm-hmm. and ways to live with this human heart and not to protect it because our instinct once we know it and open it is to protect it to shut it down to make sure that you can't hurt me or you can't take what I want but to open to allow myself to open to the feelings we had a a retreat in New York a, a, a day a, in the city and we walked in the street and it was noisy and some of the monks who were with us said how do you practice in these crowds and our answer was, each crowd is made up of single beings, and we love each one. And that's really, really important. And how can you not practice? Like, I mean, I'm aware. Exactly. How can you exactly. not practice? Not meaning like I got to do this because I got to get through the crowd, but how can you not be aware of all that wonderfulness that's happening and that human story that's mm-hmm. unfolding and to breathe inside of that and to feel the aliveness of everything? So, mm. I, you know, when you said read this to somebody, you know, for those that are not they're not thinking about becoming a Buddhist or a Catholic or, or Protestant, etc., which I would be one of those today. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think you said something, Angela, that's really important. It's not even about what you're going to sign up for, but about reading the stories and finding mm-hmm. yourself in the stories and go, ah, ah. Because mm-hmm. I've had many people tell me, Javna, you practice Buddhism on a regular, and I'm like, Okay. <laughs> there, there. Thank, uh-huh. thank you, Mom and Daddy. <laughs> so, Eve, read us something that you wrote. What is the name of your chapter, and what was your inspiration to co- contribute? And before I forget, I want to say to the listening audience, I because I think this is so important, I've invited um, uh, Angela and Eve to come back on the air the fifth Monday, the fifth Wednesday, and I don't know the date, but whatever the fifth Wednesday, they'll be on the end of the month with me again at this time, and maybe they'll have someone else join us, but we're going to spend another half hour un- um, unpackaging, if you will, these wonderful ways in which we can be present, which we can even begin to ask ourselves if we have the kind of, is, do you, are you two calling it a loving heart? Sure. Mm. Is it loving? Sure, it's a wonderful mm-hmm. word. What's the other word? Wonderful What's, description. Yeah, a loving heart, because I think we need to really talk about having a heart in the first place, mm-hmm. honoring that we have mm-hmm. a heart. Yeah. And finding kindness not only for everyone else, but first for yourself. Yes. When I meditate now, I sometimes say, this is how kindness feels. Mm-hmm. Only for that moment. It's so important mm-hmm. and so rare. Mm. Not rare, rare to say it out loud. We're going to do that. We're going to do some of that. I think we're going to play on the air and have people do some loving their self moments. Beautiful. And then we're going to open the phone yeah, lines yeah. On, our, on the fifth Wednesday of this month coming up. Do you want to read something? What was the number you are um So my my chapter is called Good Enough, 
loving kindness for self. And before I read, I just want to say that this book is incredible. It's not only that people can recognize uh, themselves, but they, but it's also as we read, we can recognize new portals into our own wisdom here. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to be a Buddhist. Mm-hmm. There were great teachings 2,600 years ago, but these people who are writing here, like, there is, mm-hmm. there is so much good insight here in this book. So I just want to say it's a, it's a great book. Uh, yeah, I, I was going through it, and it is a great book. And uh, what I like about it is reaching out to people that in urban spaces, because here's the thing I know to be true. Them saying, folks, we have a hard time looking at are absolutely brilliant. And I, yes. I'm like way into people. I am so into people hugging their brilliance yes. and putting their brilliance mm, out there. Mm. like, what, yes. what, what? When people realize they're brilliant, like, what, what, mm. what? Like, I may be standing, yeah. like, I may be standing here without a zip code or my belly hungry, but check out this yes. brilliance. That's right. Absolutely. We just got to look at them. There's, there's, but they right. got to look at them first selves, and this book is going to help them. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, All so right. just a little bit here. So this is at the end of my chapter. I say, I see with a heart of compassion that we're pretty much at the mercy of our conditioning, believing what we think and thinking what we've learned or assumed until we've developed practices that counter the conditioning. And that's what we're talking about, getting out of the box. Mm -hmm. And then I say, as I myself have gotten more and more freed from what I think of as inner colonization, the toxic trance of mainstream Western culture, some send this stuff outward, some like me apply it inward, and some do both. I've identified several key practices from Buddhism that support long-term freedom from self-directed hatred. And, and then I'll just you know, say that those practices are about awareness, which is what mindfulness is. Mindfulness is just a fancy word for something we all have and we can cultivate, which is awareness. And making people aware that they're mindful reminds me of a story. I'm going to put the story out there, and then I want you two to, to talk to me about what you hear in within as it relates to the teachings. There was a little boy uh, during the Holocaust. They were sitting. He was on his way to the, the, the to be the, the in, what is it, internment camp. Mm-hmm. They, he was there to be killed. Right. Mm-hmm. He's walking. He looks up at one of the guards, and he's aware but not aware. Right. So, but he says mm-hmm. he's in line. He's heard the stories of what's going to happen. And he says, does that mean where I'm going, does that mean that I won't be able to eat the meager food that I'm supposed to have later? Hmm. Then he says, he goes in his pocket, he says, I saved my last meager meal because I wanted to put them together. Could you give this to someone who's not in this line? Mm. Yes. Yeah. That's it. When I heard that story, it's like, you're walking, you've heard the story of your d- death, and you've saved a meager handful of something to add to your meal later. Try, mm-hmm. And then now you know it's not. Now it's his way. I won't be there to eat it. Could you give it to someone That's else? That's it. The, Angela writes about mm-hmm. that in this book. Angela, you talk about the story of the the beginning of the Buddha's journey in terms of oh, eons. Yeah. We, we want to share that. We have about a minute and a half yeah. to share that before we yeah, say goodbye. 
the, the Buddha had many lifetimes, and most of those and those lifetimes come up in stories called the Jataka tales. And what the first Jataka tales, these people are carrying uh, heavy rocks, and they have, they're sweating, and they're all in their own suffering, and they're not looking at each other. And one time, one man looked up and saw an old man and said, "Perhaps if I helped him, he could rest for a moment." And that was it. That was the beginning of the, finding the dignity of humanity, finding the dignity of his own humanness, mm-hmm. knowing that he could reach out and offer some uh, solace and some comfort to it. No, to, to connect. Let me make it specific. To connect. Angela. To find the dignity of his humanity in that connection. Angela, mm-hmm. you just left us with a wonderful story. Thank you, Eve. <laughs> Thank you, Angela. The three of us and maybe more will be back here the fifth Wednesday. Check out the day, 3.30, cover cover the Joplin's Bistro. Thank you for listening. about Alice Walker, prolific writer, global activist, whether she's urging us to preserve this vexed paradise or to simply stay conscious of the importance of beauty, Alice is always encouraging us to honor the divine in each of our souls. On Thursday evening, October 18th, starting 730, she will be at First Congregational Church, 2345 Channing Way in Berkeley. She'll read from Taking the Arrow Out of the Heart, her new book of poems printed in both English and Spanish to express her love and all sane peoples of both people, both cultures. Nina Serrano, poet, writer, and KPFA host, will appear with Alice. This KPFA benefit is wheelchair accessible. Tickets available at brownpapertickets.com or supportive independent bookstores. Treat your inner self. Hear Alice Walker with Nina Serrano, October 18th. KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. And the time is 4 p.m. Stay tuned next for Hard Knock Radio. One, two, three.